Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. I want to apologize before I start because um, I made a crazy, crazy decision on Friday to leave almost immediately and just go to Wilmore, Kentucky. Some of you know the stuff that's happening at Asbury University, um, and I'll talk a little bit more about that upcoming. But what I have discovered is ever since I walked into the presence of God in uh, Wilmore, Kentucky, I've been on the verge of tears for 36 hours, sometimes not so much on the verge. So I apologize. I'm going to try to say, <laughs> try to track without and make it understandable. So yeah, cool. Good. Thanks for, uh, for, you know, humoring me. So let's get started. If you've been paying attention, right, over the last couple decades to church, to faith, to what our culture believes about church and about faith, what you probably already know is that increasingly there are less and less people who chain, uh, attend church regularly, right? You guys are aware of this. Less and less people. Do you know that they've moved the target about what it is to be considered a regular church attender? Used to be actual regular, like, hey, the church is open four days a week or four days, Sundays a month, and you're there most of them. Now it's like, ah, once or twice a month is probably regular. They've changed the target because increasingly less people attend. And what you probably also know is the number of people who are deconstructing faith just continues to soar. More and more people are, are, are just not sure what they think. The largest growing uh, af- religious affiliation is none in all the surveys. None, like, not nuns, like, you know, convents. Like N-O-N-E, what's your religious affiliation? None. It's the largest growing religious affiliation in our country. Increasingly, the culture around us looks at faith in Jesus as not only like, hey, that's your problem, but they see it as detrimental to human flourishing. We actually get, get looked at suspiciously for having faith in Jesus, and for what it's worth, some of that reputation, we've earned it, right? We've earned this reputation that uh, we're a hazardous bunch, you know, some of it is not, not fair, but some of it is. It means major leadership failures, major moral failings, spiritual abuse, major hypocrisy, power grabs. And while the criticism may not be completely fair, there's a decent amount of it that's reasonable. The increase in podcasts. I just found out about another one last night about spiritual abuse. We've earned it a little bit. And the culture looks at us like, I don't think we can trust you. And for those of us who know and love Jesus, this can create an internal conflict. And many of you probably already feel it. We begin to wonder, is this thing that we call church broken beyond repair? Can anything be done? Can it be redeemed? Can it be resurrected? Or do we just need to chuck the whole thing? And I would imagine in a room like this, there's a number of you who feel that way. Like, I'm not really sure that this thing we do on Sunday is really beneficial, is really helpful. We start to wonder if real discipleship can actually happen or 
Can we actually still be the salt and light that Jesus calls us to be? It's a wonder. And we're conflicted. And let me just be quite honest with you. I have the same concerns. It's not just you. It's me. I go home on a Sunday. Sometimes I'm like, praise God, this was amazing. You do baptisms and that's amazing. And then sometimes you go home on Sunday and you go, I don't know if we're doing anything of value. Just honesty. Just me being honest about how it feels. Sometimes I have conversations with people who I think are growing as disciples and then they're like, hey, by the way, I'm done with this thing. You go, what do you mean you're done? Like God is doing something in you. What do you mean? Yeah, I don't think it's, I don't think it's for me. I've tried it. I don't think it's good. And to be completely clear, I still believe the church of Jesus Christ is God's plan A, and there is no plan B. So I'm not over here trying to reinvent the way that Christianity works. But I hold this weird tension of like conflict. Like, is this really working? Is it really doing what we want it to do? Or what we, is what we're doing right? Is it the most effective way to accomplish the mission of Jesus? And in that conflict, we may be tempted to go, well, you know, organized religion, forget it. I can follow Jesus on my own. Some people would ask, oh, what's missing or what's wrong? How have we missed the boat? And that's what I want to talk about today. We've been looking at this series, Asking for a Friend. We began in early January, and we've been looking at real questions you've submitted. And today I want to address this question, why is the church today different than in Acts? We read through the book of Acts, and then we look at today, and it's, we say it looks different. Why? So what I want to do is I want to pray, and then I want to look at this question, and I want to take an honest look at this question. So would you pray with me? Jesus, you're so kind. You're so generous. And we come to this question, Jesus, knowing that we have conflict, knowing that we struggle and so, God, I ask by your spirit that you would bring clarity today. And would you visit us today in an increasing way? Would you come, Lord? Would you empower this message? Lord, anything that I say that's not of you, would it fall? But would you put your words in my mouth? Stir our hearts, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So I just wonder, have you read the book of Acts lately? Like, I'm not talking about like, I hate, I grab my verse that I like. I'm talking about chapter one to chapter 28. Have you done that lately? If you haven't done it, I would recommend you do it. Like take, I mean, it'll take you a little bit of time, but sit down someday and say, I'm going to read from the beginning of chapter 1 all the way to the end of chapter 28, and I'm not going to stop. And just read the flow of what happens 
in the early church, you know, as I was preparing for this message, it's one of the things I did. I sat down and I was like, I, want, I said I want a, a legal pad and the Bible, and I was like, I'm going to read this cover to cover. This, I mean, cover to cover, like Acts is like this much of the book, but from chapter 1 to chapter 20, I'm going to read it, and I'm going to just sort of like write down the things where I'm like, huh, I don't see that now. Huh, I don't see that now. Here's something that's different. And I would recommend you do that. Like, I came across so many things in the book of Acts that were so compelling. If you haven't done it lately, you should do it. Like Acts 2, Jesus tells the disciples, hey, hang tight. Don't try to do anything until I send you this gift called the Holy Spirit. And so they're just hanging out. And the Holy Spirit comes and comes in such power that the people who are walking by are like, I think they've had too much wine. When was the last time you had that kind of experience with Jesus? When was the last time you had the kind of experience with the Holy Spirit where people would look at you and go, something's wrong with you? I don't know, something, you're just a little staggery, you're a little happy, you're a little cryy. Makes me uncomfortable when you cry, so would you stop it? If anything, you should just laugh. I'd prefer that. It makes me feel better. When was the last time you had that kind of experience with the Holy Spirit? And so when they... When the, it's so noticeable that when they, when, when they make this accusation, Peter stands up and he says, you all, it's not, it's, we're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. Don't you know that's later? That's not what he says. <laughs> he says, we're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. This is the spirit that has been promised. It's, this is the spirit we've been waiting for. And he quotes the Old Testament and in response, the people say, what must we do to be saved? And 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus in one day and are baptized. Imagine the baptism line. 3,000 people. When was the last time you saw 3,000 people in one place? Like We don't even get together anymore, it seems like. When was the last time you saw 3,000 people in one place? let alone 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus because they're cut to the heart. Does that create a conflict for you? I read the book of Acts and people are giving their lives to Jesus all over the place. And I look around, I don't see that. Or how about Acts 3? Peter and John are going to the temple to pray and they see this beggar hanging out by the door and he's like, hey, give me something. And Peter responds like this. I love the, the verse. It says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. It's a pretty hot prayer. And the dude stands up. Has never walked. It says he was, he was lame from birth. Has never walked. Peter and John help him up. And he goes bouncing into the temple. Everybody recognized him and is like, what the heck happened? Isn't that amazing? And doesn't it immediately create a conflict inside you? If it doesn't create a conflict inside you, can I just say, why? 
How many times? I haven't, I haven't seen beggars hanging out by the front door here. We saw a shopping cart one time. I don't know if that, maybe they were. But if there were, would we see them raised up? How many times do you see that happen? And it creates a conflict. It's like, wait a minute. I don't even know if I want to pray for people sometimes. There's a story I read about Thomas Aquinas, who was a Catholic priest in the 1200s, and he was in Rome with the Pope. And so he's having this conversation with the Pope, and there's this table full of money in front of the Pope. I want to read you this quote. The Pope said to him, he said, you see, the church is no longer in that age in which she said, silver and gold have I none. True, Holy Father, replied Aquinas, but neither can she any longer say to the lame, rise up and walk. Something wrong with that. It creates conflict inside of me. And it captures the essence of the problem that I wrestle with. How is it that I read this book and then I look at my life and I look at the world around me and it doesn't look the same? How about, let me give you one more, Acts 4. Peter and John are arrested for the healing that just took place in Acts 3. And they preach about Jesus afterwards. And the Jewish leaders threaten them and say, don't preach in this name anymore. But they let them go. And then they go back to the, the other followers of Jesus, and they're all praying. And check out verse uh, 29. It says, now, Lord, this is the kind of prayer they pray. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Don't they know they're supposed to pray for a hedge of protection right there? But they don't. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they all were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Has that been your experience? I mean, aside from the people who moved from California, you probably haven't been in a building that shook, right? Coincidentally, after they prayed. I haven't. I mean, I've been in buildings that shook, not because we were praying. Have you had that experience? Like, we, we pray, we're like, God, would you protect us, keep us out of the fray? They're like, give us boldness when you put us in that place. We know they're coming for us. Don't take us out of it. Give us boldness when we get there. I could go all the way through the book of Acts. I underlined so much stuff as I was going through this. And I'm just like, why, God? Why don't I see this? I'm not going to outline all of the things because... Again, like last week, we don't want to be here till 4 o'clock. Or maybe we do. I think maybe we do. Do you guys want to be here till 4? I'm, I'm half serious. You're like, no, please. But I'm, gonna, I'm not going to outline all of those things. What I ended up writing were 10 major things that I read through, and I said, this is different now than it was in Acts. And I'm not going to outline all those 10. I have two that I want to share with you that I think connect to all the rest. Two. But before I do that, I want to create some guardrails, okay, that are going to lead us down this path. The first guardrail I want to put up is that we have to be aware that the book of Acts has to be read in conjunction with the rest of the letters. Because if you don't do that, if you read the book of Acts, it looks like it's a bunch of people who can do no wrong and are completely, you know, like holy and pure and nothing else ever goes wrong and everybody's just out to get them 
You know, like perfect victims. How dare you treat these people so poorly? But if you read the rest of the letters through the New Testament, what you find is that these people are messy people. And they bring in weird stuff. And there's odd stuff that has to get corrected. And if you read both in conjunction, what you discover is that the church in Acts is a messy place that nevertheless God chooses to use in the places that they've been placed. You have to read them both together. That's the first guardrail. I don't want you to read the book of Acts and go, man, nothing ever went wrong there. The second guardrail I want to put up is that the global church, I'm talking about the whole church around the world in 2023, doesn't look like this. The things that we experience, the statistics that you could see about church shrinking is largely confined to North America and Europe. The church in places like Asia, places like Africa, South America are rapidly inclining. They're actually growing. And if you go there, I have not been there. I have read enough stories to feel like I've been there. If you go there, what you find is that the book of Acts is still happening. So what I'm saying is, the phenomenon we're addressing today is largely one of culture and context. It's not like, well, we got, you know, 2,000 years later and, you know, just sort of the passion wanes around the world. It's a contextual problem. I want to share the two things that I think are critical. And I think if we live deeply into them, it will change all the rest of them. The first difference between us And the early church that I want to point out is that we have grown content not to be 100% under the leading of the Holy Spirit. We have grown so content to do church without 100% dependence on the Holy Spirit. I don't mean that we don't want the Holy Spirit. I don't mean that we don't sing and worship and invite God's presence and that we want the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that we don't. What I'm saying is We have learned how to do Christian mechanics without God's presence. We've learned, right? We've learned to sort of go about our Christian lives without having to depend on the Holy Spirit in prayer. Haven't we? Like, think about it for just a minute. Like, when was the last time you prayed, God, what would you do here and waited on an answer? The second half of that statement is actually more important than the first, or at least as important, maybe it's not more important. When was the last time you prayed and asked the Spirit of God to direct you and waited on an answer? Because if you're like me, and I know I'm like you, here's what happens. God, I don't know what to do here. Would you sort of like give me a sign? Right? Give me a sign. Would you like direct me, and you wait for about three seconds, you say, ah, well, right? Does that, does that capture what you do like maybe 80% of the time? You're like, God, I'm just sort of like wondering if I should go meet this person and have coffee. Would you sort of like give me, give me a sign about that? And it's like, well, the light turned green. It must be God told me to go. So I'm, I'm going. I'm going to go there, Right? 
Or you wait for about two or three seconds, you don't really hear anything, you go, I guess God's okay with me doing whatever I want to do. Is that you or is that just me? Maybe it's just me. Y'all are looking at me like, uh, you shouldn't be up there. Um, But when you read through the book of Acts, it starts with Jesus saying, don't do anything until the Holy Spirit is poured out. Just don't do anything. And when they go to choose another disciple after Judas hangs himself, and they're like, well, we need somebody to replace Judas. Let's figure out which one. They didn't just go, well, we really like this guy. They say, God, which one of these people do you want? And then they choose based on what they believe God wants. And you can look and see how that plays out. But all the way through the book of Acts, the constant drumbeat is waiting on the presence of the Holy Spirit and asking God for more and asking God for direction. It's the Holy Spirit in prayer all the way through. There's no dependence on their own ability. There's no dependence on their own smarts. And when I look at the way we do things now, we're content We've learned some patterns, we've learned some forms from other people in other times and places, and so we employ those forms, and we don't understand the heart that was connected to the Spirit behind it before. Let me give you an example. Can I give you an example? Because every movement of God, every movement of God is born out of an encounter with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit births every movement of God in the world, right? Right? And every movement of God has these things that happen that make sense so long as they're connected to the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, okay? Let me give you a vineyard example. In the late 70s, early 80s, the vineyard was birthed in Southern California. And what we discovered in the vineyard is that if you lay hands on people and pray for them, that you bless what God is doing, that there's something about affirming what God is already doing in the laying on of hands. And so we put hands on people as we pray for healing and impartation and, and gifting and calling and all the things. And we lay hands on each other appropriately. And they discovered that in doing this, you're joining with what God is up to in the world and that things happen. But what happened in the late 70s and early 80s in Southern California was really hot, and we're kind of meeting in a high school gymnasium. The airflow wasn't very good. So if you've ever had like a crowd of people around you with their hands on you, you get real sweaty real fast, don't you? You ever done that? And so in the vineyard, we just sort of started to like extend a hand toward people, which is to say, I want to put my hand on you, but I want to be kind and not make you sweaty. Right, And so you would have a crowd of people around whoever we're praying for. Nobody's touching the person, or maybe one person is. And the rest of us are doing this thing. And in the moment, empowered by the Spirit, it made sense. Now people all over, in every denomination, I watch this happen. I call it the vineyard salute. Everybody just goes like this. And they don't know why. And the thing I think is hilarious is I go... Well, you tell me where extending a hand towards somebody is in the Bible. And people go, well, like that's, there's like a deer in the headlights look. Like it's, it's not. The laying on hands is. But this motion made sense in the context of being an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? You see that? Like we do it every Sunday, right? 
Kids are going to go. We say, hey, extend the hand towards the people, right? And half of you are like, that's weird. I don't know about that. The rest of us are like, ah, I'll prop my elbow up on the chair. It's like, it's a long time. It's a long time. I don't know what this is doing, right? It's an example. In early vineyard times, the Spirit of God was so palpable and was in, like, it was an invitation of the Lord. It's like we want to be kind to these people, but we also think there's something powerful about putting hands on people. And God used it. Now we still do it, and most of us have no idea why. Now you know why. And when you go into the you know, prayer gatherings and other places and you watch people do it, you can just chuckle. But I say that to say is that there are forms that make sense in the presence of God that get continued long after the thirst for more of God goes away. Any great revival in the world, people fall over, slain in the spirit, and so we create this form that the way we know God is moving is that people fall over. And I have been in rooms where I don't even touch people and they buckle, but they sort of catch themselves. You know what I mean? You ever seen that? Some of you are like, what do you mean slain in the spirit? Back up. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes when the presence of God falls on somebody, there's such a weight that comes on them and they end up on the floor. I have been in this space. It's not violent. It's not unkind. It's the most kind and like loving thing that I have experienced from the Lord. Is he's like, hey, you're too high to be in the presence of God right now. Nobody comes into the throne room of a king this high. You should probably be lower. It's just kind. And I felt so loved. But we've taken the form of a revival moment, and we say, well, if you don't fall on the floor, clearly God's not doing anything. And there are whole movements that are born out of people have to be slain in the spirit. They have to fall. So much so that we create this pressure. If people aren't falling, people are going to think nothing's happening here, so I'm going to push them over, which is stupid. But we hold on to the form without the spirit behind it. Does this make sense? I mean, I could go around, and I won't because I love you guys. Um, but I could go around and point out, like, denominationally, that happens all over the place. Every new denomination, there's a new move of the spirit, and God is doing something. And we put forms in place that make sense, and we hold on to those long after the hunger for more of God goes away. We've learned mechanics. That's what I'm trying to get to. We learn mechanics that make it look like things are happening. Does that make sense? And so we've grown content operating in our mechanics without actually having the presence of God animating those mechanics. Make sense? Or how about, you know, there's a, I won't because I just told you I wouldn't. I have lots of ideas. But all of these things have context in being connected to the Spirit of God who animates them. But we've grown comfortable without it. That's the first difference. A.W. Tozer, you guys know A.W. Tozer? Christian Missionary Alliance pastor in the first half of the 1900s. Anything you can read by this guy, by the way. I mean, anything you can read by this guy is worth whatever time it takes you to read it anything. I would like highly commend anything by him. Here's what he said. He said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. 
If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. Is that true of us? I mean, think about your own life. Are we content to just not have the presence of God? I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus in this space, seriously take this into account. How much of your life, if somebody was describing it, would have to be described by what God did? Seriously. How much of your life would have to be described by the Holy Spirit told them to do this? And they did it. Or is most of it just, I make my plans, and I sort of look at God and go, this is what I'm doing today, right? How much of your life could be explained only by the presence and power of God? So that's the first difference. The second thing I want to show you about how we are different than the Acts Church is that we have competing interests and we're not completely sold out. We have competing interests. Jesus knew that this was a temptation, and he talks about it in Matthew 13. Look at this parable, beginning in verse 3. Then he told them many things in parables. You guys know this one, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up or the plants were scorched, and the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seeds fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has hears, let them hear. For our discussion, verse 7 is important. I'll read it again to you. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Here's what Jesus says that means. Verse 22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. What Jesus is saying is that some will receive the word of God, it will begin to take root, and then we start to hedge our bets. We say, yes, I'll give my life to Jesus, but it might get weird. Maybe I don't want to be too weird. And what Jesus says is people in this group don't bear fruit because they're not completely sold out to the message. There's other things in their lives that they value at least as highly as God's presence. There's other things that they value. You know, these are people that are like, I'm going to worship God, but I don't want to do it enough that people might think I'm crazy. Right? It's like, oh, yeah, I know we are sort of like abandoned. I'm going to just sort of like do one of these. Nobody can see my hands. And as long as I'm not as crazy as the fools in the front row, right? As long as I don't look as weird, everybody will look at them and not me, right? And we want God's presence in our life, but we don't want it so much that we're not in charge. We don't want it so much that it just... Uh, doesn't, we want it only enough that it doesn't mess up our business interests or our calendars or our relationships, right? I don't want it so much that my family goes, what's wrong with you? You're taking this Jesus thing too seriously. 
I don't want God's presence so much that people start asking questions or go, you seem unstable. Is that what you guys think about me? <laughs> A little, okay, I, I can go with that. See, we want God's presence so long as we can be in charge. But can I tell you a secret? It's not really a secret. God doesn't share the power seat with anybody. He doesn't share the power seat with anybody. And he's so kind. He's so kind and such a respecter of personhood that if you want the power seat, he'll let you have it. See, we go, I, I want Jesus, and I want, I want the presence of God, but I only want it enough as long as it serves the other things that I'm trying to do. And God says, hey, you can have all you want. You can have that. You can have as much of this as you want. What keeps us from selling out? I think the, the root of it is a whole host of fears which creates a lack of trust. That's what I think it is. I think it's any number of fears, valid or otherwise, that says maybe we can't trust this. Maybe we can't trust God. You know? What if this message is not as actually as good as Jesus says it is? You know, what if, what if I, I surrender myself completely to God's presence and I discover on the other side that I'm not completely satisfied? That's fear, isn't it? What if I surrender myself to God and I discover He isn't good or He isn't kind or He isn't loving? Like, what if I abandon myself to the fact that people have said God is loving and I discover that that's not true? It's a fear. What happens if I give up my perfectly good career with all the money-making potential in the world to surrender myself to Jesus and he doesn't take care of me? Is that a fear for you? It's a fear for me. Just being honest, a year ago I gave up a job that was paying me very, very well to do this. That's a terrifying proposition. And I'm never going to make what I was then. And the fear in that moment is what if God's not going to take care of me? Do you have that fear? I think all of us are wrestling with some kind of a fear. Here's what I know. I know that there's no way to completely sell yourself out to God that doesn't involve risk. There's no way. John Wimber would say that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. There's no way to sell out to Jesus that doesn't involve risk. There's no way to completely sell out to God that does not involve significant cost. That's why Jesus says, count the cost. Do you really want to follow me? It will cost you. It will cost you relationships sometimes. It costs you money. Sure as heck, it's going to cost you status. There's no way to sell out to completely to God without first coming to him with all of the things that are competing for his power seat and confessing all of them and saying, God, I'm going to hand these to you and I hope, I hope that you're kind. 
I hope that you're good. Because all of these other things are way more present to me. All of these other things definitely satisfy me in some kind of a way. And you're calling me to hand them over to you. And I hope that you're kind. I hope that you're good. I hope that you're as good as you say you are. But I don't know. There's no way to sell out completely to God and hedge your bets at the same time. It's just not possible. You have to let go of the one to get the other. But what I also know is that when you discover the depth of the love that God has for you and his desire to welcome you into family, his desire to make you whole and to give you a life that's more fulfilling and more satisfying than you ever could imagine, When you know that, when you get a hold of that, it's worth letting go of everything, everything to have it. You don't know this, and you're going to know it now, but my prayer for you, all of you, is that you would be a people who are so captivated by the love of God, who are so captured by the love of God that we would let everything else go to have it. And then if there's anything else that God would want to give to me, I'll let go whatever it takes to have it. There's nothing I won't let go of to have it because I know it's so good. It's the prayer I pray for you every week, every morning. I show up in my office and it's one of the prayers I pray for all of you. That you will be a people who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and it doesn't matter what he asks you to let go of. You would do it to have more of who he is. That's my prayer for all of you. See, Jesus is the pearl of great price that you sell everything to obtain. And what I know is, if you completely sell out to the presence of God, he's right there to draw near to you. Do you know that's a promise? That's a promise God makes. He's not far from you. It's not like you're like, well, I'm going to turn to him and maybe he'll come or maybe he won't. He will. And it's in that space where we forsake all other things for the presence of God that you discover that there doesn't have to be a gap between what you read in Acts and what you see now. There doesn't have to be a gap. Friday morning, I made this decision as I was watching what's happening in Asbury, they, they started a chapel service on Wednesday. And what you need to know before I show any of these things to you, every student at Asbury University is forced to go to chapel three times a week. Imagine if we just forced you to come to church three times a week. What I heard from a professor there is that 75% of the people who go to chapel don't want to be there. It's required. They have to go. They're allowed to miss three a semester. So think about that. How long, is, how long is school? 15 weeks times three is 45 chapels. You're allowed to miss three. Most of the people who show up to the chapel don't want to be there. They have to for their grades. They don't want to be there. So the chapel started on Wednesday at 10 o'clock. And it cuts off like every good college class right on time at 11 o'clock so that people can make their next thing. 
and everybody dispersed, except for 20 people. You can go back and watch this. It's like on their live stream. The service ends. The message was good, but not amazing. And it wraps up. It's almost like they're trying to push the guy off the stage. Like, hey, your time is up. He even says several times, like, my time is up. My time is up. And they sort of play him off like, you know, like one of the award shows. The band starts playing. And then they dismiss everyone from the service. And the camera pans out. Everybody gets up, blocks out. Except for about 20 people who just sort of stood there like, I don't want to go. Worship kind of continued. And then people started texting their friends. It's like, you have to come back. Something's happening. You have to come back. Something's happening. Mind you, most of the people who left don't want to come back. One guy, when he came back, got to the door and was like, nah, this is stupid. And he started to turn around and he said, God told him, if you reject this, you reject me. He's like, all right, I'm going, I guess I'm going in. When we went, by Friday morning, I had seen enough videos and enough stuff that I was like, and I texted somebody in, in Wilmore and I said, is this for real? Is this a real thing? Like, yeah, this is a real thing. I said, uh, is this, like, can you tell if it's still going? I don't want to drive there and then it's eight hours and get there and discover that it ended 30 minutes before I got there. Like, can you tell, is the momentum still, like, is it still going to happen? I don't, I don't want to show up and, and so he was like, it, chapel ended on Friday and looks like it's going to continue. And so I text a bunch of people, like, I'm leaving. Mike was able to leave and I said, I want to leave in like five minutes. Hopped in the car, drove to Wilmore, Kentucky. I got to Wilmore at 8.45. I want you to click that first picture. I want you to see this. Can you see that? That auditorium seats 1,400 people. There's roughly 1,400 students. Everybody has an assigned seat. 1,400 people. Mind you, 75% of those people don't want to be there on a normal basis. Keep that in mind. Also, keep in mind that this is 60 hours after this thing started. 60 hours, and people are kind of in and out, like, you know, go get some sleep, go get something to eat, whatever. I walked in, this is as, the minute we walked in, we walked in with some German people who, were, who had been in town praying for a revival, and they were like, this has got to be a thing. So I walked in, and I'm standing there in the very back. What you can't really tell, there's a bunch of people lined up in the front there. They're reading scripture. They just sort of had this announcement. They were like, we think it's time to just start reading scripture. And a line of people showed up with Bibles on the side of the stage to read Scripture. And do you know what happened when they finished reading every passage of Scripture? People stood up and applauded. We read the Bible and we're like, hmm, okay, that's nice. Like, it's blowing my mind. And when I walked into the space, I just started to cry. And since I've walked into that space, I've been right on the verge of crying or actually crying since that time. I want you to, can you click the next one? You know, there's no words posted anywhere in there. 
Danny and them, they, and, and Mary is up there, and they do a great job of putting words up for our worship songs. These worship songs have been going on for, it's still happening now. Nobody posts words, and everybody just worships. Nobody's telling them to. There's not like an order of service. For some of you, it sounds like torture, right? Nobody's saying there's three songs, then we get to go. And it just keeps going, and it just keeps going. Nobody's running this thing. Like the students are just, when the band has been playing for two hours or whatever, somebody sits down on the piano next to the other person, they just slide in and it just keeps going. Can, you have the next one, is it a video? So They had this moment, can you pause that I'm for just a second? They had this moment, and it went past it already. The, the guy in yellow that was on the stage, they just had this moment, they're worshiping for a while and then they were like, we think it's time to just share a story. And so these two guys, which you can't really, I mean, I don't know if you can make it go and pause, but the two guys on the stage, one was the guy who was preaching when this all started. The other guy is who he called his spiritual father. So, See, right there, the guy in the yellow. Everybody just sits down and is like trying to soak it in. And there, he starts talking about the value and... Uh, the value of vocational spiritual parenting. I know these videos are not doing like this justice, and I'm super excited about it, and I recognize like you guys are probably like, ah, okay, whatever. I want you to just see the fact that like when God shows up, what happened is what started at the very beginning of this was this like group of people who came in and said, I will confess all of the things that have kept me from you. They're for most of the time that we were there, there was a row of people across the front on their faces crying out that God would give them more of his presence. They wanted it. And they weren't leaving until they had it. And most of them still aren't leaving. That may be another problem. What's the next one I got? Here's Mike. So they've, at this point, they've dismissed for the night, like a while ago. And everybody's just staying. Go to the next one. This is two hours after they dismissed for the night. Go to the next one. They, there were college students driving from other campuses who were just showing up, and as soon as they would find out, some student would go up on the stage and say, hey, we just heard Indiana Wesleyan University is in the house. If you're from there, will you come up front? We want to pray that God does this at your school. And the people would come to the front, and then the people from Asbury would surround them, and they're like, God, would you do more there than you're doing here? We watched that happen several times. The students would come, and they're just praying that God would pour out more. And that's what's happening there is, is all these students... This story is amazing. I shared it on Facebook. We were sitting, I was sitting in the back just sort of like soaking in. It's like three hours after they dismissed everybody. And I'm sitting in the back and I turn around and I, I hear some like sort of, there's people sort of laying hands on this guy and you know, four or five people, maybe six. A little circle happening and there's a couple people sort of like watching like what's happening and they're praying and they're praying and all of a sudden they scream. And I turn around and I'm like, <laughs> Are we in a deliverance situation? What's happening right now? And when they did that, 
They went back to praying for the guy. More people, more people, more people. Probably 45 minutes went by. There were more people than that. It was probably at least 30 people maybe. Maybe 40 people were around this guy. Some of them were worshiping. Some of them were praying. So this guy sort of stumbles. After they get, they get all excited and, and, and you can tell it sort of disperses and this, this young kid kind of walks by. I wonder if we can see him. It's the kid in the white, right, Mike? He kind of walks by, and we're like, hey, what, what, was, what was that? What was going on back there? And he was like, I mean, he's sort of just sort of like dazed. He goes, that guy had a tumor in his mouth, and we were praying for it. I was like, well, after all of that, is it still there? He goes, No. He's like, he's going to go get it checked out tomorrow morning so that he can have a testimony for tomorrow. So if you come back tomorrow, you get to hear the whole story. I was like, I can't come back tomorrow. I have to, I have to go home. But it's just impromptu. And, and I think most of these people are like, I don't know how to pray for healing. They just passionately wanted God to do something. I want one more picture. Nope. You can skip that. This picture. So it's like two o'clock in the morning. And most of the people who have like come from the town and like adults had left. And students are still filing in. And this is, I mean, this was just one picture. Like this girl here, she sat down and just wept, 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 just came apart. And I watched that happen all across the room. I want you to remember, most of these people didn't want to be here. Most of them, last picture, people didn't want to leave. I don't know if you can tell what that is. It's a guy, he brought his dorm mattress to sleep in the presence of God. And he was, he was the only one that I saw that brought a dorm mattress. But lots of people brought like sleeping bags. People brought, there was one guy who was wandering around trying to find a good seat. He had a blanket and a pillow, he propped his feet up and just... They just wanted to sleep there. <laughs> Probably a better place to sleep at their dorm, but what I'm trying to get to you here is you can have this. This is an eight hour drive from here, but I don't even think you have to drive eight hours. What I'm trying to say is if we're people who actually passionately desire more of God's presence and we're not satisfied to try to do church mechanics without the leading of the Holy Spirit, these are the people we become. And it's available to you. It's available to all of us. There doesn't have to be a split between the church in Acts and the church in America. And we can be the people who bridge that gap. Do you believe that? Do you want that? Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.